0: Well, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. We're going to look at every single passage in the Bible on glory today. No, we're not going to do that. I'll, talk, I'll tell you how many times that I, I found this in scripture in a little bit, but going to do a little bit of a survey. But what we're doing this morning is sort of putting the, the capstone on the solas of laying our foundation. Uh, what we're going to do for the next three weeks after this is we're going to cast a biblical vision for our church. We're asking ourselves, and I, and I would I would challenge you to to ponder this. I know you don't sit around and think about stuff like this as much as your pastor does, but you need to learn to think. This is your church family. Is what would what would we like to see now that we've laid our foundation, um, our church to look like in four years? You should do this for your life, by the way. Even young people, uh, you should do this biblically informed. But that's what we're going to do. But you should have a couple things in front of you. One of them looks a little different. Um, we put like a new face on the Now watts. And so if you didn't get this, it's not on your notes anymore. It's a separate piece of paper you'll need to get. And uh, we just put a little bit more structure to it. We, we, we did this for this growth group, but we also used it at 180 um, to go through to, to do as well. So just, just so you know, that's what we'll be using in the future. And uh, so the solas. We, we asked a couple of questions. We're going to read 1 Timothy 1.17 in a minute if you want to find that. Um, but let's just think about where we've been. Uh, we said ultimately for the Protestant Reformation, there was two questions that, that, that we were seeking, the Reformers were seeking to answer. They were pushing the Catholic Church towards. One, went, one was, how is a person redeemed by Jesus Christ? probably one of the most important questions that we should be able to answer. Um, our Reformation brothers said it was by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the work of Christ and Him alone. It was that, that is informed, though, by the main question, I would say the foundational question, which is who has the sole authority for faith and practice within the church, but also within your life? Is it? Is it the church? Is it tradition? Is it government? Who, who, who is it? Who is it? We've got to answer that question. What the, our Reformation brothers said, according to Scripture, it teaches that Scripture alone. Remember we said there was a material cause and a formal cause. And so we come now to say without this, without the morning, without sola deo gloria, there is no purpose. We are... We are left, and we'll talk about this in a minute, with the structure that we've laid with no purpose. The glory of God alone then is the heart, the center, the purpose, not only for the Reformation, but for our church, for our very lives, for every single person that you meet no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how they live, God created them and everything you see for his own glory. And so just keep your seats this morning. We're going to do sort of a survey again. But 1 Timothy 1.17, I could have chose any number of passages uh, this morning, says this. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever amen let's pray so god we have this daunting task of speaking of your glory today as as if we're blind from birth trying to explain the expanse and the depths of the ocean to someone else that is blind. Uh, Lord, uh, help us, we pray, to understand these things as much as we can and to anticipate as we've been singing that day when we will understand it fully and perfectly with you. And so help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I do have two things more than normal this morning more illustrations, and more quotes. Maybe it's because I feel a little inept to speak of God's glory, and there's a lot of people that said a lot of good things uh, in the past about God's glory, and I couldn't say them any better. I'll tell you when I'm quoting somebody. And just to try to give us every illustration, by the way, so I don't have to say it multiple times, uh, breaks down at some point when you speak of God. When you compare anything to God... (laughs) it's only good for a little bit and and then it's it 's not a very good comparison at all, but we have to we're we're just humans here trying to understand something that is divine and so here 's the truth: all people seek glory even if they don 't know what it is. all people seek it what I glory in two sort of Preliminary thoughts here. What I glory in is what I worship. That is why next week we're talking about worship. Um, Again, these are inseparable realities. What we glory in is what we worship. If you want to see what you are worshiping, what you are worshiping, are you worshiping God alone, Christ alone, then understand what this word glory means. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's important to understand that this glory is is sitting on top of these other solas that we've already spoke about. Here's a quote. As long as sinful people strive to come to God by their own resources, the Almighty will keep himself veiled. In other words, if God doesn't reveal himself to you and his glory to you, you will not see it. If you think you can get there by your works, you will not see it. If you think you can get there by tradition, you will not see it. If you think it's Christ plus, Scripture plus, God plus, He just won't reveal His glory to you. Now listen to this. Let's tie in the cross here. Quote, If you lose the cross, glory will not be granted. And we will find ourselves choosing works rather than suffering, comfort rather than sacrifice, receiving rather than giving, the foolishness of man rather than wisdom of God, the fleeting happiness over abiding joy, consuming rather than planting, evil rather than good. Mm. This is why Martin Luther, the champion of the Reformation, championed the cross. He said it is not sufficient for anyone and it does, not, does him no good to recognize God in his glory and majesty unless he recognizes him in the humility and shame of the cross. And you got to think about that. Philippians 2.8 agrees Truly informed Luther's thoughts here when it says that Jesus was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? The purpose to the glory. Of God the Father. John Calvin said, We never truly glory in God until we have utterly discarded our own glory. Everybody seeks glory. And as fallen people, we love our own glory. This little thought's not in your notes, but it was a it's an important thought for the end. What I glory in is where I'm seeking to find my joy. And it's not only where I am choosing to worship. It is also what I'm seeking to find my joy. I love this guy, Jonathan Edwards. Every time he says something, you, he, he writes, you have to think about it. It's one of those things you got to read him and you've got to go back and reread him two or three times. It says, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory, and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory. And that these two are one passion, God's glory and my joy, are bound together. This is why when we become better worshipers, we become more joyful irregardless of the situations or the circumstances in our life. God's glory directs me to the object of my worship and the source of my joy. That's what we're saying this morning. Or can we say it better than John Piper that said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Told you I had a lot of quotes. Question. Can you add to God's glory? Can you diminish his glory? Can you subtract from his glory? Well, that is a more complex question than we think it is, isn't it? When you think about it, you start to say, no, yeah, no, yes. Maybe, can't, well, preachers, well, I came to see you this morning. So there's there's two things, and I tried to make this as as straightforward in our minds as possible. There's plenty of words to describe it. God has an internal glory and an external glory. Let me try to explain it. His internal glory, theologians some call, is his intrinsic glory. It is the excellency, the perfections of his divine attributes and all of his acts that flow out of that. It's everything about who He is and the, the actions that happen because of who He is. This glory cannot be added to nor subtracted. doesn't matter what anybody does. His eternal glory is altogether glorious. Unchangeably glorious. Infinitely glorious. Eternally glorious. Quote, God needs no one or no thing to make him glorious. He is the origin and author of his glory. But there is, in our life, what we experience day to day, what we call an external glory. Theologians call it ascribed glory because it, it is offered to him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's offered in creation. It is offered by our life. This is the effects, or what we're going to use today is is simply an illustration, a reflection of His internal glory. So the external glory, what we are ascribing to Him, what we are giving to Him, what, what the creation is giving to Him, is a reflection, is an effect of His unchangeable internal glory. In other words, we do not add to the excellencies of God Nor can we take away. We take notice of His excellency and we respond to it. And all creation does. All creation except for man does what God tells it to. Because that's how it reflects God's glory. This this, this will drive our our talk about worship next week. What is glory then? I told you we were going to Read every passage on glory. If I did, we would be reading approximately, according to my Bible study program, which, you know, however accurate it is, it should be accurate, 358 times in the Bible, 161 times in the New Testament. That's why when you go to read, you can almost just pick one. It's going to start talking about God's glory. You have to try to ignore that, that this, is a primary, this is the primary purpose in the Bible. To bring glory to God. The word is glory. It's the word where we get the word doxology. Doxa. It's got, it's got a two-sided meaning. It's a state of honor and praise. We saw that in Philippians 2. This idea of taking something and, and lifting it up. It also has another meaning of splendor and brightness. It's where when we should reserve the word awesome. It produces in us this all. It shows his might, his greatness. Tom Schreiner defines the glory of God by saying, the supremacy of God in everything. Supremacy of God in everything. So I was trying to, it's the best illustration. It was ironic. I had a a picture this week of I've been trying to explain the five solas in in just a simple way that we would use every day by a stool, and so when I came in church this morning, this stool was sitting—I know you probably can't see it on the cameras—but it was sitting like this on the floor. So you know I'm not a smart man, but I sit there for a minute and I pondered. Did anybody see anything wrong with that stool? Can you see it? Can you see the stool? I'm not a smart man. Something bad happened to that stool. I found out the story. I'm not going to say it. Somebody might be watching. Notice, and I had to bend that leg back out, by the way. It was was worse than that. Would you want to sit on that stool? No. Let me ask you something. How do you know it's a stool? Why not a potholder? Dare I say, I've used these as ladders before, right? Because it's too lazy to go in and get the ladder, right? How do we know that this is a stool? There's a lot of things that's got four legs. That's the top of it. (laughs) So the intended purpose is made clear. But the reality is it's only as strong as its four legs this is why the reformers use this picture of a house or some kind of structure that these lay in this foundation of these five solas build something strong and to neglect one of them is to produce something that you would not want to sit on much less build your life on so soli dio gloria then is the glue the Holds all the solas together. It is the center that gives it its purpose. It's, it makes it into a unified whole. It is the top of the stool. It helps us to understand exactly what we are supposed to do. I, Isaiah forty two eight says, "I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise." two carved idols then god's glory alone and none else is the ultimate end of all things heaven and earth and i know that was a long introduction but it was an important one so first let's just review things that we know this is not exhaustive because i can't i can't explain the glory of god in a sermon i couldn't explain it to in a hundred sermons but let's not miss this, that God's glory is revealed in his creative handiwork. It is, it is demonstrated, the glory of God in his creative power. God, Calvin called all of creation God's beautiful theater, where he puts his glories on display for us. Years ago, I didn't, when I married my wife, I married a a uh, girl who loved music and theater and i like music not the kind that she liked and so i'd never been to a broadway play but i have been to a few now in almost 30 years but we went and saw miss saigon has a vietnam plot on it they had a helicopter that descended down on stage at some point during this thing it was impressive it was one of them Wow. You know, I'm a mechanical guy because I'm sitting there going, how did they do that? You know, just think about the whole creation is God's theater designed to bring him glory. Colossians 1.16. We know this. It says, For by him... Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, listen, were created through him and what? For him. Through him and for him. Christ was not only the creator, that means that which he created exists to make much of him. Isaiah sixty six one says Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things come has come to be, declares the Lord. If I needed something, I would not ask you. That's what God says. Well, can you build for me that I need? God does not need anything. He created everything, and all things exist for him. He not only created it, he sustained it. Colossians 1.17 continues by saying, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He holds together the atheist that sits on his lap to denies him. He gives you your job and your mind that you use to make money. And oftentimes we do not bring glory to God at all with anything that we have done five to six days a week. And he provides all of it for us. Every drop, every breath, every drop of water that our body must have. We have all had some kind of health problems where we realized how delicate we are for one thing to go wrong. It all goes wrong. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now I want you to see this next text. or so turn with me to Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Pretty good sized book, easy to find. Deuteronomy chapter 10 ties together these two aspects of creation. Deuteronomy 10, verse 14 it says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth. And listen, we're going to come back to this at the end. With all that is in it, verse 15. Yet, grab this. The Lord has set his heart in love on the fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. So that God created everything and he set his love on you. Man. So the pinnacle of God's creative excellence is you. It's you. It's them, by the way, too. Whether they have a dollar to their name, whether they sit behind a prison cell or not, they are made for a purpose. God's glory is revealed through His creation of us. This is the Imago Day. We know this, don't we? Genesis 127, let us make man in our image. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, and what did he do? He breathed in it, and it became a living soul. That's what separates us. That's the essence, brothers and sisters, of all that the image of God does and can mean in all of our wonderful existence. We have a soul. We have something that death cannot even destroy. Accept him or reject him. He has given you a soul and you will spend it internally somewhere. That's what makes us distinct. I was sitting at the coffee shop. I, I like to go to the coffee shop. I like actually, um, it's a misnomer to say introverts don't like to be around people. That's just not true. We just like to be around small groups of people. And <laughs> you need to know that about yourself, by the way, because caving up will kill you. And so I go to the coffee shop. I've met all kinds of people at the coffee shop, just divine conversations all the time. And I'm sitting uh, on a stool looking out the window because I'm an outside guy. If I can't be outside, I like to look outside. Praise the Lord, when I get a new office, it's going to have a really big window. And uh, that's why if you come by here and I'm not in the office, I don't spend much time in my office. Why? Because I can't see out. God makes us to be that way. That's not the point of the illustration. (laughs) So I'm sitting here looking out the window at a tree. These huge trees. I think they're maples. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But they're these big, glorious trees. And I'm sitting there thinking about this message, pondering this tree. And I've asked myself the question, tree, how do you bring glory to God? I a little bit of a humor there that tree can't answer me. The tree creates beauty. Oxygen. Shade, rest. I mean, temporal benefits of all kinds. And then one day it dies, and what does it become? Firewood or mulch. Uh, It's even harvested, used for paper, builds our houses. I, I enjoy working with wood. I was making something with my hands yesterday. But it's a tree. And that's how it brings glory to God. But how about... Me? How about you? We grow, but what is the difference between us and a tree? There's a soul inside of us. We are made to have a relationship with the Almighty. That if a tree could have a cohesive thought, he would long to be human. It's the things, doesn't Scripture say, that angels long to understand? But this I know as I sit there, that tree was not looking into that window going, I wonder how that guy in there reflects the glory of God. No, that tree was just doing what he was created to do. But we, we make choices. We live an animated, unique existence that God Builds us the way that we are for His glory. We have a capacity to know God and to be known by God. Not just live planted in the same place all our life. To live, die, and be used as firewood one day. That's not your life. You don't have to believe anybody that says that. If you do not grow, you die. God has made you to reflect His glory. And we do it in life Psalms 115, 16. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. Dude, that's powerful, isn't it? Everything belongs to Him. He gives it to us. James warns us about a man in a mirror. Do you remember that? James 1, 22. I'm not going to read it. You can read it later. You remember it. He says, oftentimes we We look into the mirror of God's Word, and it reveals something of us, and we just walk away and do nothing about it. And we think, it doesn't hurt anybody but me, that I'm disobeying this aspect of God's Word. It's a secret sin. Nobody knows about it anyway. Listen to this. Another John Piper quote, man. This is just... mm. He says this, What is sin? It is the glory of God not honored. The holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God not admired. The power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought, The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not trusted. And the presence of God not prized. And the person of God not loved. That is sin. You see, it is not what you are doing that puts you in so much trouble with this almighty God. It is what you're not doing that He created you to do. Our lives are meant to live then as a clear reflection of God. It's the purpose of our life. That God is our all-satisfying, joy-infusing glory. Our glory reflects back to the world because we are seeking to reflect God's glory. That is your motivation for holiness. Not to, not to God love you more. It's to be a clear reflection. The Westminster Catechism puts it well when it says the chief end of man is the glory of God and to enjoy him forever. And forever, by the way, starts the moment that you get saved. Because eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins the moment that the Holy Spirit regenerates your soul. Our joy and and God's glory is bound up together. And the more we seek His glory, our purpose, the more we will find our joy increasing. God's glory is seen in His handiwork, especially us image bearers. But us image bearers have our mirrors tarnished by sin. And so we will understand God's glory revealed through our salvation. Through our salvation. This is the first, the glory of the gospel. I could have chosen so many. I went back and forth. Titus 2.11. Let me just read it for you. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So you got to pause right there and say, why? Why? Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purity for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The gospel is the good news that Christ came to redeem us so that we might glorify and enjoy Him forever. That's the gospel. He didn't just came to save you to get you out of hell. He came so you to be so you might glorify him now and enjoy him now and forever. The only way you enjoy Him forever is, are you enjoying him now? The glory. Is this gospel. The glory of the gospel does not depend on somebody's acceptance or rejecting of it. The gospel is glorious. And we present the gospel. It's good news. Whether somebody snubs their nose at it or bows before the king, it is altogether glorious and it is our only and your only hope. It is the glory of the gospel that brings the glory of our redemption. We saw this last week when Jeff explained to us these three great pillars here, or three great legs of our stool. Let me just, if you want to go back to Ephesians 1, let's just remember a couple of passages. And students, if you remember ransom, Ephesians 1, 7, you could put ransom right there where it says redemption. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption, in him we have ransom, through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Look down at verse 11. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Why? Verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. That's why God saved you. In him, verse 13, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. Our redemption gives God glory. The gospel gives us that glory when it is accepted and even when it is rejected. It's also the glory of our sanctification. The glory of your sanctification. That is our growth and holiness. Philippians 1.11, looking back and starting at verse 9, it says, And it is my prayer, Philippians 1.9, It is my prayer that, you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Here's our so that again. I need to learn to catch those so that's. Purpose. Verse 10 so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of who? God. The purpose of our growth in holiness is to become more like Christ. That's what we're saying. For our mirrors to become clear. Because that is the only way our God gets glory. You ask that question, and most of the little small questions in life about what we need to do comes into clear focus. Will this decision bring God glory? If all the world found out about it tomorrow, would it bring Him glory? If it does, do it. No matter what it cost. If it don't, move on. God's glory will be revealed, not only in this life. This is our hope as Christians. But it will be revealed through a new heaven and a new earth. So we have to start with creation, but we've got to end with a new creation. If not, I have not told you your whole story. There is a glory coming, and it's coming to our very bodies. John 5, 28 says, Our bodies will come out, out of the grave. Do not marvel at this, John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Everybody comes out one day. Everybody. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Verse 50 says, I tell you this brother's flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Every, every funeral that you've ever been through and put somebody in the body in the ground, we put them in the ground in faith. That our scripture alone tells us that God will raise them up. And in that we hope. It's the glory of a new creation that began the moment he saved you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 said, If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. We are the first fruits of that which is to come. So many passages on new creation I just picked one. Isaiah sixty six twenty two says this. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain for the new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. That's the point. That's the end of all things. The glory of our purpose. Worship. It's how we glory. All of our life then is worship. Talk about that in growth group. So what? A couple of questions. How clean is your mirror? And listen, another side of this is be patient with yourself. What you're asking yourself is, is my mirror cleaner than it was five years ago? six months ago, am I making forward progress or am I sitting stagnant? What we're saying is, is, the glory of God alone calls us to gear all our pursuits, all of our dreams, all of our mundane tasks that we do every day to gear them all for the glory of God. It infuses the, the very mundane with a God given purpose that I can even, though I may do the same thing every day, washing clothes or making beds or whatever it is, gives me purpose and it can bring me joy. God has made me for these things. <laughs> Another quote by Jonathan Edwards. You've got to think about this. Just know what he said. Grace is but Glory. Begone. And glory is but grace perfected. Let me read it again. Grace is but glory begun, and glory is but grace perfected. Do you remember the first time that you realized grace? Do you remember when you became an adult, and you realized all the grace and mercy that your parent gave you all these years, and you snubbed your nose at them? You remember that? When you became an adult and you had a child and they did it to you and you were like, oh my goodness. I hate that. My parents a thousand times. How much more is true of God? The moment we realize that we have received something and it is grace, that is the beginning of glory. That is not the perfection of it. When we get to heaven and we'll see His face. That'll be the perfection of glory. And that'll be the perfection of grace. How clean is your mirror? How much joy are you experiencing in your life? How much joy are you experiencing? So many passages. Just look at John 15:8. John 15:8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me and I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and, and abide in His love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Full. God's just not this... The guy with a power trip trying to get you to do what he says to do. His glory and your joy are inseparably connected together. I love when you read passages like this and you got to say, huh, Acts 13.51, the disciples were sharing their gospel. They rose up this persecution against them. And it says in Acts 13.51, they shook the dust off of their Feet against them and went to Iconium, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I read that I'm going, huh? You know, I mean, they're out there doing what God has told them to do. People start trouble. They get persecuted. And so they just move on. And it says they were filled with two things, the Holy Spirit. Joy. Could it be that one brings the other? I mean, how much time have you spent to say, what does it mean to be a spirit-filled child of God? I remember when I took a sabbatical, that was that, was that question. What does that scripture say? Yeah, I'm indwelled with at salvation. But what does it mean for him to empower my mind, and my will, and my emotions and purify my motivation so that I may enjoy him more? Enjoy my wife more. Enjoy my children more. Enjoy my job more. Is there something wrong with that? No. We were put here for this. It's how you bring God glory. Quit trying to change to find something. Get God's glory right. And you'll be surprised what changes. I want to deal with this because I think it's important. God's glory and the broken and needy. A common question I get. Why should we help the needy, uh, the broken, especially the homeless? Uh, Won't they use us? Right? If you haven't asked it, you will. Can I just teach you something that a lady taught me? Her name's Teresa Wingo. I told her I was going to use her as as the application today. Uh, sitting over there at this bar. And uh, she'd come in to see me. I study there a lot. And, and so I just ask her. She's been, I don't know how many years she's been helping homeless people. Just don't know. Long time. And so I ask her, Ms. Teresa, don't you think all these homeless people are just using you? And here's what she said. Better to be used than to be useless. Hmm. And here's what she said. I, I just put scripture to it to, just to know that I don't receive unbiblical counsel. What does scripture say? First, we own nothing, Psalms 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are resident aliens and citizens of heaven, Philippians 3, heaven, this is not our home. We are practically homeless, going through on a journey. 1 Corinthians 4:2, we are servants, therefore we are stewards of everything that belongs to God. We don't own anything. We ourselves, 1 Corinthians 6:20, have been bought with a price. 2 Timothy 2:21, we seek to be useful vessels, not useless vessels. Isaiah 117, God commands us to use our resources to help the broken and the needy. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Therefore, if I am used, it is so I might bring them to the gospel, to the praise of His glory. Because if I'm sitting here half the time, I am simply leaving my responsibility off to the side and doing nothing, and so I am proving myself to be useless and not useful. When I see something is harming somebody, I stop. Amen? When I see that, my, that what I am doing has not become useful to them, and it has become harmful, then I stop and I move on. Much less Paul, when he's preaching the gospel and people start persecuting him and close their ears, what does he do? He shakes the dust off his feet and he moves on. God's glory. Listen, this is just one example. God's glory is wrapped up in the mercy I display to those who have known nothing but pain and brokenness. God's glory is wrapped up in his mercy to those who can never pay me back. And here's the question you just got to wrestle with this morning. Was Jesus ever used? And before you answer that question too quickly, you need to think about the disciples' motivation. Why were they following him in the beginning? Hmm? They thought he was going to bring in the kingdom. Man, we got hooked up with the Messiah. Coming with a rod and, you know... He'd be like, they had the Rambo picture in mind. Were they not using him? Here's the question. Not only that, dare we go into who the demons he cast out and the people he healed and the, remember what he said? You just following me for the loaves and the fishes. Here's the question where did he lead them to? The cross. The cross. It's at the cross that he redeemed them. And listen, it is to them people that were using Jesus, he built his church on them. Bring them to the cross. That's what we're supposed to do. We are broke, homeless strangers in this world. And if we begin to act like it, we will begin to show God more glory. We are mirrors made to reflect God's glory and to enjoy every second of it. But we should not be content to have mud on our mirrors or compare our mirror to somebody else's mirror. We simply want to reflect God's glory. That's our motivation. That's our desire. That is our consuming passion from the big things we attempt for God and from the little mundane things we do every day. So... Are you pursuing a joy-filled life that clearly reflects God's glory? I just thought this was fitting last week, having looked in Ephesians. Just all of this good Ephesians doctrine. Ephesians 3 then, as we close today, says this, Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask and think, according to the power that he works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is our heart. Our brother Paul said it better than we Lord, we desire to be filled with the fullness of you. Lord, I wish I could fully comprehend what all that means. Teach us, God. Teach us what that means in its fullness. Fill us with our spirits so that our minds make decisions like you that bring glory to you. So our emotions are kept in check, but are used to the glory of God. Lord, we need you, and we desire to reflect you now, not only now in this time of worship, but as we go, it's Mondays coming. And Lord, we desire to be a living sacrifice for you on Monday when the temptation starts and when the rat race starts. And so, God, we just want to enjoy you now. And so, Lord, we want to use our voices. This is all we have. So lift our voices to bring something of what you have given us so that your kingdom and your work here at Battleground can go forward and offer it up for your use. But Lord, we want to come to the tables together as, your, as believers. As children who have bowed the knee to the King of glory. To remember the great grace that purchased not only our freedom paid our adoption price that we would be children of God, sealed us with His Spirit until we get home. We come to the table to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who the body was broken, offered for us, His blood was shed so that we could be ransomed and redeemed. Visit your people Let us taste your goodness today. For you are not just all we need, you are all we have. We long to see your face. Pray as Moses prayed. Show us your glory. And it'll be enough. In Jesus' name. Amen.